Um, you all know that I love kinship, right? And uh, I keep speaking about... I do. I really do. Um, and I keep speaking about kinship, and we've had some brilliant teaching about community. You guys know the theme for the year is... In Him. Better together in Him. So we've had a lot of talk about community and what it means to, to, uh, to kind of do life together, right? Look around you. Look at, look at the people who are around you in the room right now. Just have a look around. You can wave if you want. These guys who are sitting around you right now are your family. And what we're going to do this morning, instead of talking about community, we are going to have a church service of community, okay? Just for this morning, we are one big kinship. And what we're going to do for this morning, I have taken an evening that we had at Kinship, and it's a whole lift and shift, and we're going to have exactly the same day this morning. So this morning, we're in Kinship together. We're going to run the church service like we're a Kinship. So that means some things are going to be different. First of all, uh, can I ask all the Kinship leaders to stand up, because I'm going to be using you guys at some point during the evening. So I know some of the guys are in Jive next more door, and some guys couldn't make it. Um, I've asked some other people to help as well. So Bruce and Jude on stage, they're going to be helping out as well. And uh, Corey, can I ask you as well, if you can just stand up as well? Sorry. Okay. I want you guys to look around at these people because later on during the morning, we're going to have some group discussion time. And um, so what I want you to do is after the coffee, when you come back, this is after worship, when you come back and sit down, I want you to sit near your kinship leader. So if you're in Dave's kinship, sit around him. If you're in our kinship, sit near um, Karen. If you're not in a kinship, it doesn't matter. Just go and sit near someone. That's why we've got people like Corey and, uh, and Bruce and Jude who are going to be fake kinship leaders. And, um, uh, and we've also got Craig and Danny in the back there as well. So I'm glad you guys arrived. So um, later on, you're going to sit near them. So all right, you guys can sit down. So here's what we're going to do. We start off in our kinship. The first 10 minutes is what we call prayer for unsaved friends, where we focus outward just a little bit, right? Um, and I'm going to call J-Dub in a second up uh, to, to have a look at that. And after that, we're going to have a time of worship. Then we'll do some teaching, and then we'll do some discussion. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to start off the interactive part of our, of our church service. I'm going to call up J-Dub. He's going to lead us in what we call prayer for unsaved friends. So over to you, John. Awesome. So prayer for unsaved friends. I know we all kind of pray for our unsaved friends as a generic group on the tail end of our prayers, but we get a bit more specific when we're in kinship. We, so, so the, kind of the, the prayer for unsaved friends that we're going to do this morning is kind of got three steps to it. The first step is we're going to take a couple minutes just asking God, and we're going to ask God to highlight one of your unsaved friends to you. If he gives you more, like, it's okay. We're not that strict on the rules, but I ask for one. And then when God's giving you one unsafe friend you're going to say father what would you like to say to that person this morning and that can range from hectic prof prophetic words all the way to just a little bit of encouragement maybe you just need to reconnect with that person it can be anything up there you know depending on what your ability level is um and then the third step is the scary one 
is we're actually going to rip out our phones and we're going to message that person right now. In the moment, before we chicken out, and say, hey, I was praying and God highlighted you to me and I believe he wants to say this. Or it could just be that, you know, hey, it's been a long time since we've caught up. Can we grab a coffee? Or hey, just how you doing? Um, depending on what God says to you. So, yeah, so, so right now I'm just going to open in prayer. Then we're going to take a couple of minutes to, to have a, one person highlighted to us. And then when you've got that one person, we'll take another couple of minutes. What would the Father like to say? And then in the moment, we're actually going to act on it. That's the third one. That's the hard bit that we all get a bit wrong. All right. So, Father, I'd just like, like to thank you right now for, for the ability to just come into your presence freely, Lord. And uh, just, just for the truth that we can actually declare who you are and share you freely, Father. And I just pray right now you would fill us with the courage and the faith to do so. Fill us with the faith that you have important things to say to, this to, to people this morning. That you have a plan, Father, and that you need to speak to your children that are, that are not here, that are not in communion with you. So right now, Father, I just pray, just highlight one person to us, one person you would like us to connect with this morning. Sweet. If you haven't got a person yet, feel free to just stay connected with the Father. Just keep pressing into that until he gives you a person. And now, now, Father, we just ask, what would you like to say to that one person? What is on your heart for that one person, Father? And then as soon as you have it, pick up your phone, send it. Don't hesitate. Don't let the enemy try and work in it. So just as encouragement, I'm just going to share the one the Father gave me. I won't use names or anything, but um, the one the Father gave me is just an, an old mate from school who I haven't probably seen for about a year now, but he's gone through some rough stuff. And I don't have a specific word for him, but I believe the Father's just asked me to reconnect with him. So as soon as I sit down, I'm going to send him a message and say, hey, man, you want to grab a coffee? You want to catch up? Because I know he's been doing it a bit hard, been struggling with depression and a few failed relationships and all that. He's doing it a bit hard. And so I just kind of, I'm going to get in there and support him because that's the Father's heart, is that he would be loved on. And it's as simple as that. So if you're still going, feel free to go as long as it takes you, but I'll, I'll just close in prayer now and we'll pass on to the next. So, Father, I'd just like to thank you again for our ability to just to participate in the works of your heart, Lord, and I pray that your spirit would just be on this, Father, that, that your heart would be shared and that your love for people would be shared. Mm. I'd just like to cut off all kind of like fear of condemnation that those people might have, Lord because that's not what you're about. Amen. As we participate in the privilege of our awesome God, the creator of heaven, partnering with us to reach our world, 
what better pathway just into his presence to worship him. So let's, let's um, worship God now. What a joy to do that. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. So let's just, let's just enter into his presence now. The worship team are going to lead us into that place of communion with God. Um, and as they do that, uh, we've got some mics up at the, well, a mic up at the front here. If you get any words or pictures for the church or that you feel need to be shared, this is free worship, just as we would have in kinship. Um, We're a family. We get to share how God is talking to each other um, and to lift up each other and the body as we share what God is speaking as we worship Him because He is going to be responding as we worship Him. So let's worship God. That's Karen. She's going to be the microphone runner. Um, just out of interest, uh, how many of you felt just a little bit challenged by what John made you do earlier, sending a text to a strange person? Well, a text to your friend. So only one person was challenged. That's cool. What I want to do, um, can we just have one or two people share what they sent to their friend? Can we do that? Just one or two people. I don't need a lot. Who sent a text to their friend? All right, Sarah did. Um, so I just went with something simple. I'd actually had her on my mind this morning before it even came up. And so I just said, I haven't talked to her in probably three years, but we're Facebook friends. So I just said, hi, friend. Um, was just sitting in church this morning praying and I couldn't get you off my mind. So I just thought I'd get in touch and say that I hope you're doing all right and let you know that someone was praying for you this morning. I don't know if life has been hard or easy for you lately, but just wanted you to know that God cares enough to put you on my heart to pray that you'd be blessed and feel peace in whatever you're going through. God bless. That's so cool. You know, as Christians, we take for granted that people pray for us all the time. If you're not in the church, you don't have people sharing things like that with you. So that's awesome. I think Corey and Nicholas wanted to share something as well. No? Oh, you put your hand up. <laughs> Who else would like to share? Okay, Winnie. Um, this actually happened yesterday. It's not just happened just before. Um, it's actually really amazing. So this a friend of a friend, which I know her, but I don't really know her. And um, like about three months ago, I actually had the dream about her. So in my dream, she was to become a writer, and it feels like it's like she's publishing her own book of how to overcome struggles. Anyway, the dream was in my head like for three months. And then yesterday when I got up in the morning and I saw Facebook, today um, is her birthday. So I'm like, oh yeah, so I can share. So I tap a message. I say, hey, how are you going? Happy birthday. Um, I don't know you very well, but I've been thinking about you and I had this dream that you look absolutely peaceful and so joyful and you actually become a writer and happy birthday and I, I know that God loves you and bless you. That was it. And then after a few hours, she tests me back and say, oh my God, this is so strange. She's an unbeliever and she said, I've been thinking about writing a book because she actually went through a very uh, difficult time with the marriage and, and she said, um, I got goosebumps all over me, and it's so strange. It's amazing. 
yeah, and yesterday I had a long talk with her for two hours. Jerry's like, you talk for two hours on the phone? I said, yeah, you know, women talk a lot. Anyway, so I talk, and I just, at the end, I, you know, she said, oh, I don't know if God is there. Why is this happen so strange? Anyway, at the end, I just pray. I said, you know what? If God is so real, so I'm going to pray. It's okay if I pray for you that God will show you that he's real. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please tell him that to help me to write this book. So I'm just like so amazed how much that it's, it's like so prophetic. I don't even, I can't imagine. It's just God is so good. Yeah. Can we just give the Holy Spirit a hand because he's got <laughs> someone on his heart? One more. Who wants to share what they're saying to their friend? Lots of people were texting. I saw what happening. Anybody? Anybody? All right, we got one. I just wanted to um, text my friend who I work with. She has bipolar and she spends a lot of time in hospital in and out with her depression. And she's, um, I can see the anxiety in her. And I just wanted to encourage her that um, I just, you know, just want to see her on strong ground and that she won't go back to hospital again and that she's got heavenly um, love wrapped around her, keeping her from that. And I just like think as we ask, as it is in heaven, let it be on earth. So with that as a prayer request to God, that she's not going back to hospital again. That is so cool. I just feel so encouraged. You know, the word of God is now outside of these four walls. The, the friends that we have, the family that we have, they're hearing God's word. I just feel really encouraged by that. So what we're going to do, we, we're just going to go through an, another Bible story this morning. I like Bible stories. And um, I'm actually teaching uh, one of the teachings that we did um, at our kinship a few months ago. We went through a little series called Living Life Like Jesus. So here's the point I want you guys to walk away with this morning. I'll kind of Dave, you got you got a huge kinship here. I may, may do you want do you want to sort of uh, maybe allocate, so may, maybe just give half the people to Craig or something, and we, we, so when we do the discussion, that you know everyone gets a chance to chat. I love Dave's kinship; it's awesome. Um, so here's what I want you guys to take home today. You need you need to learn not food. You can leave the food. You need to learn how to be the best you that you were created to be. Okay, you need to learn how to be the you that you were created to be so that you can partner with God to make the world a better place. The very day that you said yes to Jesus, when you said, yes, Jesus, I'm going to walk with you. Jesus said, okay, from now on, you've got, your Holy, you've got my Holy Spirit in you. You and I are going to make the world a better place. Now, sometimes that might start with sort of behavioral things where God says, all right, I want you to start treating the people around you with integrity. I want you to start acting with humility and lifting up other people around you and not trying to put yourself ahead. So sometimes it's behavioral things, right? But we're, through doing those things, we're making the world a better place. Sometimes it's through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts a fair amount this morning. But through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we make the world a better place. Where there is poverty... God gives us the gift of giving, and we can push that poverty back. Where there is illness, 
we have the gift of healing. And with the Holy Spirit and with the gift of healing, we can push that illness back. And what do we call that? That's the kingdom of God breaking through. That is the world being made a better place. And this is what the gospel teaches us. The, uh, Kirk has said it before. The gospels are not just um, stories about how to be saved. The gospels are detailed stories about the life of this man named Jesus who show us what a life partnered with God can really look like. So we started this series called Living Life Like Jesus. And um, so we're going to read a Bible story. I'm going to pray for it now because I really want the Holy Spirit to illuminate the story for us. So look at your feet and close your eyes. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you that we've got this record of what you did. I want to thank you that we can read this morning about what you, what you did 2,000 years ago. And I know that it's still so fresh today. I want to pray that as we read these stories, Lord, that you would make it individual to each of us. We're all different. We're all in different places. We all have different gifts. Would you make this story real to every single one of us this morning? I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's start with a little bit of background. I'm not going to... Yes, we do have that. I'm not going to tell you where the story is because I don't want you to read ahead, okay? Um, You're just going to have to read along with me. So a little bit of background. Jesus was obviously born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in... Really? Nazareth. All right. Somebody said Nazareth. You get points. Okay. So he grew up in Nazareth until he was about 30 years old. So who's about 30 years old in the room right now? Tim, you're almost exactly 30 years old. So we got a... Yeah, good effort, Corey. So David and, 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 and Tim and actually a whole bunch of people in our kinship, they're about 30 years old. So if you want to know what sort of age Jesus was when he started his ministry, look at those guys. Okay. So run about them, also bearded, mostly. And, um, okay, so Jesus is 30 years old. He, remember he was baptized by John the Baptist, and then he went out into the desert and got tempted. And then full of the Holy Spirit, he starts his ministry, and uh, he goes back to Nazareth. And what happens at Nazareth? They essentially uh, mob up against him and try and throw him over a cliff. So this is not a great start to his ministry. Um, So he leaves Nazareth, and he moves into a, a place where he bases himself pretty much for the rest of his uh, ministry. Does anybody in my kinship know the name of that town? Capernaum. Capernaum. All right. Thank you, Karen. It's good to know that one person listens. <laughs> Love it. Okay. So Jesus moved to Capernaum. Yes, Darren. And uh, now what's special about this place called Capernaum? Okay. So he moved from Nazareth to Capernaum and Capernaum is right on the road from Egypt to Damascus. So you're going to have a lot of international traffic going through this place of Capernaum. So first of all, it's a fairly important town from that perspective. Secondly, it's a border town. And at border towns in those days, you would pay taxes. So you would have to have a tax office in Capernaum. Now, um, it just so happens that this is the same tax office where uh, Matthew worked. Remember there was a story of Jesus bumping into Matthew and calling him to be a disciple? This is the, um, this is the town where Matthew lived. Uh, it's also where Andrew lived. And um, we know that probably James and John lived there as well. So, and we know that the apostle Peter and his wife also lived in Capernaum. And there may have been a few other apostles as well. I'm just not too sure. But a lot of them lived in the area of Capernaum. 
Now, because there was a tax office in Capernaum, the Romans would have wanted to protect their money, right? So they would station a bunch of Roman soldiers in the, in the area. And as soon as you've got 100 soldiers, you have what's called a Roman centurion to look after those guys. Do you guys remember the story where Jesus meets a centurion officer? That's the centurion that we're talking about. So it also happened in Capernaum. Um, and it's on the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. So I don't know how well you know your geography, but if you've got the, the, the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum's kind of sitting right up at the top here. And um, so obviously because it's uh, by, um, by the sea, it had a huge port. There was a lot of uh, ships docking there and there were a lot of fishermen. And we know that a number of the fishermen were, uh, well, a number of the apostles were fishermen as well. So Capernaum is quite an important place and you can hopefully see how a lot of the stuff is kind of fitting in. So Jesus settles in Capernaum. He never actually has his own place. So I want you to think, realize as well, he was moving around from place to place. He probably stayed with his uh, disciples or possibly with his disciples' parents. The disciples were young teenagers at the time. The only one who was over the age of 18 was Peter. And um, so he was staying with his friends, probably with his disciples. And um, Jesus starts teaching in Capernaum. He starts getting a reputation. He casts demons out. We read the story about how he goes and heals Peter's mother-in-law. People start bringing the sick to Jesus, and he gets a reputation. He then goes on a short-term mission trip out of Capernaum, and we're going to pick up the story as he's coming back from that short-term mission trip into uh, back into Capernaum. So, Bo, can you click it there for me, mate? All right. When Jesus returned to, returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. I want to paint a picture of what's going on here. So, We know that if you read after the story, Jesus goes for a walk and he bumps into Matthew who was working at the um, tax office. So all of this happened relatively early, early on during the day. We're probably talking about the morning. Where is he? He's not at the synagogue. He's not at kinship. He's not at church. He arrived back from his ministry trip and he is staying at someone's house. Now, what do you think his plan was? His plan was probably to have a sleep. If any of you guys have been on a little mission trip or even a business trip, you come home, the first thing that you want to do is have a sleep. So he finds a place to, to stay, walks in, he's, at his, he's chilling at his rented digs, and people just start pitching up because word spreads that Jesus is at home. Now, here's a lesson for you guys, and this is one of the things that I love about Jesus, is he's always living in the moment. He never planned to have a church service or a kinship or um, uh, a session at his house. People just pitched up, and he found himself in a situation where he was surrounded with people. I think it even says uh, there were so many people inside the house that they were kind of wedged, and people were um, outside the door, and there wasn't even any room outside the door. So this is how many people we're talking about here. So Jesus always lived in the moment. He didn't plan to have a whole lot of people pitch up, but people did, and so he turned it into a God moment. And we'll talk about how he does that in a second. The second thing that I want you guys to think about in all of this is that Jesus never gets sidetracked by the situation or the season. He knows who he is. He knows who he wants to be. And so in every situation, he is who he is, and he is who he wants to be. Okay? 
you'll see how that flows through what we're talking about. But we're often, we get sidetracked by seasons all the time. We really do. So, um, I know, for example, that, uh, you know, let's say who I want to be. I want to be a person who loves well. Um, and yet I get in a, put it in a situation where, uh, let's say I'm tired or frustrated or stressed at work. Um, and so instead of learning to love well in the situation, I focus on the fact that I'm stressed and irritated. And I just keep saying, God, would you take this season away from me? Jesus never did that. What Jesus did is in the situation he is, he realized I'm a person who wants to love well. And so in that situation, he would love people. And this is what, this is what Jesus does so well. So those two things, I want you to listen for those as we go through the story. So here's a scenario for you guys. You're at your friend's house, right? There's a, a bunch of people around you. And uh, somehow the word gets out that you're a Christian. Okay, your cover is blown. And, um, and, and they, they, they find out that you're a Christian, and, um, and they know that Jesus' followers can do miracles, and suddenly a hundred people just look at you. And they've got this expectant look on their face, right? Now, any of us would react very differently, okay? Um, Robbie Dawkins, if he was there, he may start power evangelism. Kirk may want to, uh, with everyone's attention, Kirk may start teaching. Neil might sing them a song. We're all different, right? We would all react very differently. Just, and this is also very important. Just because Jesus did something doesn't mean you should react in exactly the same way. Because you are different to Jesus. You are different to me. You are different to Karen. You are different to Dave. Every one of us is different. You need to learn how to be the you that you were created to be in any situation that you're in. So, um, the first thing that you do in this situation, you're faced with any situation. You pray, okay, God, I'm going to invite you. I'm going to draw you into the situation so that everything that happens from now on is at least partly your fault. I mean, your plan, okay? And, um, and that way you take a little bit of pressure off yourself, Right? So do this actively. Say, God, partner with me in this, and at least some of what happens is because of your fault, uh, your plan. Um, now, when you do that as well, you're putting your Holy Spirit gift toolbox on, right? Now, um, <clears throat> with, holy, with, with gifts of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians is very clear that there is one Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And where does the Holy Spirit dwell? It's inside of us, right? All of the gifts of the Holy Spirit come from one source, and that source is the Holy Spirit. So inside every single one of us, we have the source of every single spiritual gift. You guys get that? But that doesn't mean that all of us naturally are used to using all of the gifts. Some of us flow naturally with different gifts, okay? You get that? Somebody shout out a spiritual gift that they're comfortable using. Louder. Prophecy. All right, prophecy. Um, if we've got prophecy, let's, let's take that scenario that we were talking about. You're in a room and a bunch of people are looking, looking at you. If you're a person who is comfortable with the gift of prophecy, you can step back and start relying on that gift of prophecy, right? So you could do things like, um, okay, you're all looking at me now as a Jesus follower. I'm going to show you what it is like to be a Jesus follower. I'm going to prophesy over you guys. 
I'm going to share with you what God is saying to you, and you may start speaking to a bunch of people. Uh, let's have another spiritual gift. Hmm? Evangelism. All right. If you've got the gift of evangelism and you've got the attention of a whole room of people, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to drive straight in and say, you know what, guys, I want you to know that there is a Savior that loves you, etc., um, and you dive on the gift of evangelism. See, all of us would react differently depending on what spiritual gift we want to partner with Jesus in in that situation to make it a better place, right? Jesus in that situation chose to use the gift of teaching. So he's got a room full of people packed outside, uh, click bow. So while he was preaching God's word to them, so he used the gift of teaching. Have I? Um, okay. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Okay, now I need you to use your imagination because we're going we're gonna to walk through this scenario imagining you're different people. So let's first of all imagine that you're the guy who owns the house, and you've just seen people drill a hole in your roof big enough to lower a person down, all right? Because that's not awkward at all. Because remember, it wasn't Jesus' house. He was staying at someone else's house at the time. Now, imagine you're one of the people in the room who saw this. So you've been standing, okay, albeit you're, you're crowded. It's the Middle East. It probably would have been quite warm. You're in a crowded room, but you're listening to Jesus, preaching and teaching, you, probably about the kingdom of God, because that's what he spoke about most often. And then you see a man who is very obviously paralyzed being put in front of Jesus. That is a situation you could sell tickets for him, all right? How much would you pay to have been in that room at that moment, to be standing there listening to Jesus talk about the kingdom of God, to see this man being lowered down from the roof like an electric guitar at an 80s rock stadium, and, and this guy is lowered down in front of Jesus, and everybody looks at him to say, what is Jesus going to do now? Imagine, imagine being that. What would you be feeling? You know, w would, you, w would you be excited? What if you knew the man on the mat? Would, would, there, would there be some, some tentative hope inside of you? Would, you? would you know that there's people in the room who are thinking... Okay, now people are going to see that he really is a fraud because he's got a, a paralyzed man that's been put in front of him. What are you thinking in that situation if you're in that room with that man? Now I want you to picture the scenario as one of the four men. Imagine you were one of those guys who heard that Jesus was there and you loved your friend so much that you took him on a mat, you climbed up the roof carrying this man, you sawed a hole in a stranger's roof, lowered your friend down to Jesus. So this is, this is the, the, the mother who takes a, a paralyzed child in a wheelchair and, and takes them to, um, to the front of the church so that they can get ministry and prayer. This is you who drives hundreds of kilometers with your friend who is ill or has cancer so that this man who has a ministry of healing cancer can pray for your friend. These guys are driven by hope. These guys are driven by hope. They love their friend, 
the doctors have tried everything. Jesus is their only hope. And so they carry their friends to Jesus. But now finally, and this is where it gets a little bit more personal, imagine that you're Jesus. This is, you're standing in the front of the church and, um, and you're praying for people. And uh, a friend brings someone to you who is desperately ill. And the doctors have tried everything. And there's nothing else that the doctors can do. But they know that you know Jesus. And so they look at you and say, you are my only hope. I know that you know Jesus. Will you pray for my friend? Can you, can you just imagine the, the, the pressure that that puts on you? You know, to, to find out that someone maybe has driven hundreds of kilometers to bring their friend to you, and they're looking at you with, um, just with this desperation and this hope in their eyes, saying, you are my only hope. Will you pray for my friend? I know that you know Jesus. Has anybody had something like that like, happen to them? Yeah. Dave, would you mind sharing for a sec? I'm, Kaz, can you... Just what, what was the situation that you were in? I was in Mount Isa, and I was asked to go up and lead a three-day teaching crusade on healing. It was a public meeting. We were about to start the third night. It had been going really well, and the Lord had done some things. And an ambulance pulled up out the front, and uh, they wheeled this lady in on a gurney all the way down to the front who had MS. And they said, we've seen God do things. Now would you pray for her? And that kind of drained every ounce of who I thought I might be out of me right at that moment. We prayed for the lady. There was no miracle of her jumping up off the gurney. But the, the, there was a look of hope in her eyes as I prayed for her. But um, it was a moment that I had totally forgotten until you just said that and it all flooded back to me. So, um, yeah, it was kind of out there, but it was one where the Lord, while he didn't, cause her to jump off the gurney, I sensed his presence with the lady. And it was still a great night, and there was a lot of deliverance and a lot of other ministry, but that particular lady, I don't know what happened after that. Thanks, Dave. Well done for praying. Seriously, well done for praying. It's, um, that situation, it's scary. There's a lot of pressure. But now what's interesting is the pressure is on Jesus to heal the man, right? But remember I said Jesus doesn't let himself get sidetracked by who he is and what he's called to do. And Jesus is our savior. So Jesus looks at this man who is on the mat, right? And instead of doing what, let's be honest, all of us would do, which is, all right, I'm going to pray for this paralyzed man to be healed. Uh, but if you can click to the next verse, it's simply seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus didn't get sidetracked by the pressure of the situation. He knew that he is a savior. He, he looked at the man, and I believe that he was communicating with the father, and he knew that it was on the heart of the father for this man to be reconciled to him. So what he focused on is, I love this man. I want you to know that from this moment, you and God, you and I are now reconciled. That is what was on the heart of the father. He knew who he was. He didn't let the situation change that. Now, in doing that, I want you guys to understand as well that what he did was actually very offensive to most of the people in the room. It's this kind of thing that got him into a lot of trouble. Because in forgiving sins, he was saying, I am God. 
it's, um, if, uh, if Tim had to hit me in the face, Neil can't say to Tim, I forgive you, because Neil wasn't the one that was wronged. I have to do it. So for Jesus to say, I forgive you, your sins are forgiven, he is saying that I am God. And so he, he was being very offensive to most of the people in the room. Now, there's something else that was going on here. So um, when he did that, I believe Jesus started operating with the word of knowledge. Have you ever been in a room where you've been speaking uh, maybe to a group of people or, um, or maybe just one-on-one, and you just get a voice from, from the Lord saying, this is what's happening. This is what the person is thinking. And suddenly you get this insight into what's going on that you wouldn't necessarily have had otherwise, right? That's what we call a word of knowledge. And this is what happened to Jesus at this, at, at this point. Now, whenever I get a word of knowledge, I'm, I've got to be honest, pretty tentative about it. You, you, you learn, as a Christian, you learn how to share these words of knowledge in a way that is kind of very generic and, and, and vague so that it could possibly mean anything. Um, and it's a lack of faith thing on, on, on my behalf, but if, if I got a word of knowledge that uh, people are doubting what I've just done or that are offended by what I've just done, I'll kind of skirt around the issue just a little bit. I'll say, is there possibly anybody in the room who may have at some point in their life thought that I may have just possibly said something which could be interpreted by some people in certain situations as possibly slightly offensive? And you kind of do these things so that at least you can kind of get a hit. You know, you, you want to kind of build yourself up just a little bit. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus kind of gets in there really directly. And uh, we read on in verse 6 here, But some of the religious um, uh, teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves. They never said it to themselves. They thought to themselves. What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And then in verse 8, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. Now, he doesn't skirt around the issue, and I love how he responds this. Can we go straight on to verse 8 there, Bo? Um, uh, we can go to the next one, actually. No, 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 you're good, you're good. All right, back on up. So Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Do you guys see how if you were in that scenario, you would have treated it completely differently? You know? Completely differently. Do you guys see that that's okay? It's perfectly fine to, be, to, to treat something differently to the way Jesus would because we're different people. But here's the lesson that I want us to think about. In each and every step, Jesus was just being Jesus. He was being who he was created to be. He never planned to have people over, but as soon as the house was full of people, he looked at the situation and said, I'm going to make a God moment out of this. He never planned to have a sick man lowered on a mat in front of him. But when he saw it happen, he thought, I'm going to make a God moment out of this. Not only am I going to forgive this man's sins, but I'm going to teach the religious teachers of the law about healing, about compassion. I'm going to make sure that this man is healed. I'm going to follow what, what the Father is doing. In every situation, in every single step, 
He just, he was Jesus. He just was Jesus. Um, and the results of it all, uh, the last verse, the way that the story ends, and the man jumped up. I love it. He, he didn't just kind of get healed. The man actually jumped up. He was paralyzed. This is good healing. The man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. Now, for that to have happened, you also got to realize that the place was so packed. When he jumped up and walked out, people would have made way for him. They would have sort of been in awe of what was going on here. And they were amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. So that's the first part of, of, of what I want to say. The second thing is, and it's really short, Corey's laughing at me, I'm not going to start a new sermon, I promise. Not all of us are Jesus. Jesus did this on his own. But what we've found in journeying with our kinship is that what works so well is learning how to use each of our spiritual gifts as we journey along with each other. You know, we're talking about better together in, in him. Um, I want to throw it out there that it, is, it really is better together in him. Um, I'm going to give you, I'm going to ask Karen to share an example of something we did with our kinship recently. But what we're, what we're learning to do is each of us have got different spiritual gifts. Each of us have got different talents. We're different people. But put all of us together in a room and we can do anything. We can do absolutely everything. Not all of us are evangelists. Not all of us are teachers. Not all of us are leaders. Not all of us are healers. But as a group, we are the body of Christ, and we can cover everything that we need to do. Can you, can you share that story? Yeah. Um, I'll just stand up here. So we, had a, we, we wanted to reach out. We were asking God, what did he want for us to reach out into the community? And we got a few words, and it resulted in us deciding to do some volleyball out near Redcliffe. And so we just decided we'd set up a volleyball court and invite anyone to come and play volleyball with us and see where God took us from there. Um, we had a team of five people, and it was amazing how every person brought something dynamic and different to make that an, an, an amazing experience of reaching our community. Because So it started off with we needed a, someone to lead it, and so someone who had administrative skills to kind of get us there and get the volleyball court up and figure out where the string goes and how the net works, you know. So we needed someone with those logical, practical, administrative skills. And then we had um, a person with the gift of hospitality um, and, and a love for the lost as well, so perhaps the gift of evangelism too, going out and just calling people saying, hey, we're playing a volleyball game, come and join us. Anybody feel like playing volleyball? And just kind of going up and down, chatting to people and inviting people in because some people love that. They thrive on that and they love just chatting to people. So we, we got some people in and there was a family, there was a brother and a sister and a father that came and joined us and the, the mother and the aunt sat on the sidelines and cheered. We had another um, man and his brother with disabilities who came and joined us as well and the volleyball, volleyball got ga a game got going. But in the meantime, someone with a merciful and compassionate gift saw somebody on the outskirts that was, I think that there must have been something visible about how they were suffer, sort of suffering or something. But anyway, this person felt drawn out of the game to go and chat to that man. And so they got chatting and that, that chat was just happening on the sideline of this volleyball game. And 
that ended up in a prayer for healing for that man who ended up coming back again to come and chat some more with our group a little bit later and we got to just talk and speak into his life. At the same time, there was someone there who couldn't play volleyball at all and so she was actually just sitting on the sidelines asking Jesus what he wanted her to do. And so she um, ended up just going for a little walk sort of near in the vicinity and she found an, um, an old lady sitting down and started chatting to her, just saying, hello, how are you? Um, ended up getting into a, a real ministry pastoral care type, um, type conversation, praying for this lady and for some deep issues that she was going through and just blessing her with prayer. And then she went on to the little restaurant nearby and ended up praying for a waitress there as well. So she just had a heart of love and compassion for people. And, um, and then sort of towards the end of the game where everything was sort of tying up and um, people needing to go and whatever, we'd had a really fun volleyball game because, of course, we needed the people who could play volleyball too to keep the game going, which was the kind of centre of everything. So there were people with that gift of keeping the volleyball going. Um, and, um, yeah, and then we just had a great chat with the brother and um, his brother who was there and uh, ended up having some good words with them too and just friendship and reaching out and loving people. So if it wasn't for the people there with the gift of hospitality, the evangelist would have had no one to speak to. If it wasn't for... You see how, the, you see how it works? All of us together, just being who we are, it suddenly makes this living life like Jesus thing accessible. It's not so hard. It's not so scary. Because you, you're not under pressure to be someone else. You're not under pressure to be someone different. You just you are who you are. You use the gifts that you've got. And this is how God works. So I've got, I've got a, um, a couple of questions for discussion, right? And we're going um, to kind of break up into, into groups, and, and we're going to have these discussions. But while we're there, um, so, Bo, if you can just go to the last, um, the, the last slide, please. There's a bunch of words of knowledge that um, the, the, group, um, the group of intercessors who meet before church came up with. And these are the things that we believe, that they believe are on God's heart for the church this morning, some things that God wants to deal with. When you're in the group, we're going to discuss those questions, or um, kinship leaders, feel free to take it in, in any direction that you want. Those are just guidelines. Anywhere you think the Holy Spirit wants to take it, that's, that's fantastic. While you're in that as well, I want to encourage you guys to make some space for some ministry time. And um, these are some of the things that God wants to deal with, right? So have a listen. And uh, if this is you, remember that this is you. What we're going to do now um, uh, for the next sort of 10, 15 minutes is gather around your kinship leaders or volunteers, right? I'll, I'll get them to put their hands up again in a second. So if, you, if you're not in a kinship, you know who you can, you can vault with. We're going to discuss some things. So the first one is, and we've actually started doing some of this. You're, in a, uh, you're with a group of friends. One of them says, I've heard that you're a Christian. What does being a Christian really look like? Go around the group and ask people what spiritual gifts they have. If someone has the gift of healing, let's talk about how you would respond to that with the gift of healing. If you have prophecy, speak about how you might respond with the gift of prophecy. If there's two of you and you have the gift of, and one has prophecy and one has healing, how would you, how would you respond to that question in that situation? So spend a bit of time discussing that. Because we want to we, we give people ideas and, and framework for how they can use their gifts. 
Um, and then the, the other question that I've got on there is, where in the story did you see yourself doing something differently to Jesus? What would you have done different? What would you have done differently? So in your groups as well, share some ideas on how you would have done something differently. Let's, let's talk about how we would have reacted to those situations. And in those groups, kinship leaders, if you could also just ask if there's anyone in the group that has um, any of those conditions that I read out. If you can do some ministry time during that as well, please. So kinship leaders, put your hand up. Does everybody know... Um, so everyone have an idea of where they're going to go. Craig, put your hand up because I'm, I'm, you guys are going to need to split up just a little bit. Um, okay, so all of you guys gather around uh, one of those people who have their hands up and uh, let's do some ministry time. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll, I'll end the service after sort of we've discussed things for 10, 15 minutes. Guys, we are approaching the end of the service, so if you're, if you're discussing and you're in the middle of stuff, please carry on doing that. Um, if your kids are next door and you're planning on going home with them, uh, you're probably going to need to collect them sometime soon. Um, but otherwise, keep, keep going with discussions as long as you want to. Keep making sure that people are ministered to and have a seriously God-blessed week. Thanks, guys.